Welcome to the CCF Podcast. We're a campus ministry at Truman State University. This podcast features sermons from our weekly worship services. Thanks for listening. Yeah, uh, my name is Brooke Barnes. I am the newest staff member. So I've only been on staff about nine months now, which is crazy to think about, um, so woohoo for that. <laughs> um, since this is not my first time speaking, I'm not going to share a picture of my family. I was highly considering showing you all a bunch of pictures of Ollie, but I'm sure that you're all tired of seeing his face by now. Just kidding. He's right there. Of course I had to show him. He's my favorite little psychopath. He's crazy. Um, yeah. Also, that, that was like a 40-degree like a day in the water. And then I had to give him a shower. It was the worst. Um, today, I'm going to be talking about Psalm 130. Um, the titles are What Resembles the Grave But Isn't, A Garden of Wilted Flowers, and The Pit of Despair. So if you all take a breath, um, I'm going to read Psalm 130 for us. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who can stand against? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. I know that we've been saying this a lot this semester, but one of my favorite things truly is hearing the testimonies of our students and peers. There is so much to be gained from listening and learning from the people that I have grown up with and I have watched grow. I specifically was encouraged by Isaiah at the beginning of the semester, and every single person since who speaks on Sundays and Wednesdays on their ability to be vulnerable and honest and soul-bearing with you all. And I think that everyone here has created a welcoming environment where that is encouraged and welcomed. Um, and it is in seeing them do it that I have felt convicted to do the same. We've talked a lot about being in the pit, of being in this place full of despair and longing. The pit is a place of destruction a deep and dark hole where the hopeless are without strength, forsaken by others, and seemingly forgotten by God. Where the choices we make, the sins we commit, the distractions of this world drag us down until we are clinging to whatever we can. Sometimes we are the ones who put ourselves in the pit. We are the ones who put us in a place where we feel distant from God or from his love and mercy. Like Isaiah talked about at the beginning of the semester, maybe it is the constant influx of sound, visuals, and communication. Basically, any kind of stimulation that has us continue to dig a pit instead of trying to find a way out. Sometimes we ourselves stumble into the pit, and other times we are shoved into it. I also just want to address real quick that when it comes to Psalm 130, most do interpret and read it from the perspective of a person who has fallen into the pit for their own wrongdoings um, and transgressions. But when I first read this psalm, I did not see it this way for some reason. For me, it's a person crying out because they have found themselves in the depths and it was not by their own doing. And also for me, this is a concept that I had not considered before or ever really thought about. But the more I thought about it, I realized that there are things we have no control over. 
such as addiction, physical or emotional abuse, assault, abandonment, depression, anxiety, grief, spiritual abuse. These things can leave a lasting effect that will be with us for the rest of our lives. Even Joseph in Genesis was thrown into a literal pit by his brothers, his family. They then sold him, sold him into slavery and left him with only his faith in the Lord. But what does it mean exactly to be in the pit, especially when you did not put your first, yourself there? What is it like when you find yourself at the bottom of a dark hole with seemingly no way out? Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord, O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to, my, to the voice of my pleas for mercy. About a week before my 21st birthday, I was sexually assaulted. I had lost control of the situation, and my kindness and people-pleasing tendencies were taken advantage of. I didn't know it in the moment, but it had started a headfirst head dive that drove me straight into my deepest pit. I couldn't drink coffee for a while, especially before working my job at Walmart, because then it would get my heart rate up. In an environment where harassment was a regular occurrence, panic attacks became a regular thing. I did everything I could to forget the event. I hung out with friends more, I focused on my studies, and I poured myself into CCF, serving the best way I knew how by giving everything I had to the people and community I loved. I seemed totally normal on the outside, and I was relatively normal on the inside too. Honestly, I didn't even realize that the bad thing had happened to me until months after it happened, but when it hit me, it hit me hard. The feelings I felt were so much and so big that I had to voice what happened immediately to anyone. So I told my mom and my roommate, the two most important people in my life. And I could tell even at that moment that they had no idea how to deal with the information that I gave them. I mean, how could they? I couldn't deal with it. They didn't know how to help me, but they tried their best. And so from that moment further, I didn't mention it again to anyone, to myself. I thought the best way to deal with it was to shove it aside, to shove it so far down that it would never resurface again. But in doing so, I was taking myself down with it. It was like taking a shovel and digging myself deeper and deeper down. It was like swimming in the deep end, but my floaties were 200 pound weights. There was so much shame, confusion, guilt. Even today I worry about what others might think, and I blamed myself. The same way we blame ourselves for our addictions when we think we should have done more to make a person stay when they've left, when we tell ourselves to get over the anxiety we have when it comes to grades, friendships, etc. We blame ourselves for the things we cannot control, for the reasons we may be placed in an emotional hell. And the things that push us over into the pit can even begin to convince us that it was our fault, that we should be ashamed we let that happen to us. And so we begin to believe that it was our own doing that sent us to that place. So even if there is a hand there ready to pull us out, a small ray of sunlight peeking in through the clouds, sometimes I think we cling to that shame and that fear because it is easier than facing what is true. I found that in dealing with it, by not dealing with it, what had happened to me was still living there in the recesses of my mind. It was like it was following me wherever I went, and I was drowning in the deepest and darkest of seas, and waves were crashing down all around me, and it was all I could do to catch my breath. I would swim harder, moving my legs faster, thinking I was moving towards the surface, but in reality, I was swimming further and further down. So I attempted to face it. I had so many questions, like, I would ask God, why? Why me? Why am I the one you chose to go through this? There were nights where I would lay in bed calling out for an understanding, for him to take away my grief, my hurt, pain, memories, anything. Oh Lord, hear my voice. 
but there were no answers, no response. I still don't even have the answers to those questions today. But by not getting what I wanted, I had to learn how to deal with it another way. Verses three and four say, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who can stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. With God there is forgiveness. Our God is a forgiving God. And this psalm is right. If he were to mark our offenses, our wrongdoings, nobody would come off with a clean record. We all sin in our own right, right? Nobody's perfect. If God forgives the person who assaulted me, who sent me into a seemingly inescapable place, then maybe that means that's something I have to do too. I must forgive. Of course, that's much easier said than done. You can't just say, boom, you're forgiven, and all your problems go away. And it's easier when the transgressor, transgressor is remorseful for what they have done and seeks out your forgiveness. At least I think so. But when the transgressor holds no remorse and does not recognize what they have done as being harmful or causing you pain, or they took pleasure from hurting us, it doesn't seem impossible. It seems almost impossible. In the case of forgiveness, we are not saying, I forgive because it solves a problem or because we feel better. We say, I forgive because that's the standard that God calls us to. And it's what Jesus did. When Jesus was dying on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. But Jesus had also cried out to God, why have you forsaken me? He was releasing the grief of his situation through his emotions of anger and sadness. Too often we want to emulate Jesus and his ability to forgive without realizing that he engaged in the same grieving process of releasing his emotions that we all need to do as well. Because ultimately, forgiveness is not for others, but for ourselves. And it all takes time, so sometimes all we can do is wait and watch for God's mercy. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. Watchmen in the Bible were like guards responsible for protecting towns and military installations from surprise enemy attacks and other potential dangers. Essentially, the job was to keep watch and warn the townspeople of impending threats. Sometimes they were the people who looked out for approaching friends as well as enemies. In Psalm 130, they act as sentinels who announced the start of a new day. And they waited patiently for the sun to rise and for the light to return. If any of you guys here remember my sermon from last March, um, you might remember that I am not a very patient person. And one of my favorite things to do is to rush through a TV show or book series just to get to the end and then stop. And then never finish it because then it won't truly be over. I have only two episodes left of Peaky Blinders, but I don't think I will ever finish it. It's been almost a year now. Um, but I will say I am getting more patient with time, with myself, my friends, my family, but especially with God. Earlier this week, I went out to Thousand Hills to watch the sunrise. It was super foggy, and I had a hard time seeing the road that early in the morning. I wanted to know what it was like to be a watchman, to sit in the dark and wait to watch the light slowly enter back into the world and watch the sun break over the trees. And in the darkness, the night feels like it goes on forever and ever. And it's almost as though time stops and you forget what daytime even means. But as soon as that first peak of light streaks through the sky, you can't help the bit of joy that streaks through your own chest. 
You're enamored by this rising sun, the stillness around you, the vibrant colors, and before you know it, the sun is up and the day is there. The dark feels truly never-ending, but once you're reminded of the sun, that is a thing that constantly circles the earth, and that even though you can't always see it, it always exists. Even though we may be in a time where we can't see God, or we can't feel God or hear God, he is ever-present. He is never far off. He is just behind those trees. And so the waiting doesn't feel so bad, and I found that I didn't mind waiting in the dark of the night so much because I knew what was coming. I knew what was right around the corner, and in my pleas with God, in my search for a way out of the pit, for a way that I could just deal from what I was feeling instantly, it felt like I was waiting forever. But if God marked iniquities, no one could stand against, so why should I? He is grace so that I can also be grace. It was once I put my trust in God that the wait for truth, the wait for my healing, the wait for any understanding did not seem much of a burden anymore. To wait for the Lord is to trust in him and to trust that he will reveal to us the light in our own lives when the time is right and when we are no longer turning away from what is right in front of us. While I was waiting to learn what the meaning of mercy was, what God was, God was and still is showing me what the true meaning of mercy and healing is. But what is light? What is the mercy and healing that he was showing me? The light is this community, specifically the girls from my graduating class who have been with me from the beginning and have walked down so many dark paths with me. The light is my mom for being someone I can call and I know that she will always answer. The light is my now old roommate, my high school best friend. It's the books I read, the phone calls I have with alumni. It's a shoulder to cry on. It's watching my dog do his zoomies at 6 o'clock in the morning. I see the mercy in CCF staff, past and present, my small group, my accountability group, my coaching group. It's in the music and sound crew. You guys are my heroes. The healing comes from musicians and artists who bear their souls and what they create. It's in Psalm 66, verse 17, specifically the message translation. It's in Thursday night trivia and midnight birthday celebrations. And I could go on and on, but I think you guys get what I'm trying to say. All if not most of these things were present during the time I was digging around in my own pit. The wool was pulled down over my eyes, and yet it wasn't until I decided to trust in the Lord that he would bring me out of it, that he allowed me to see and showed me all of what I had been missing before. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. I also want to take a moment to encourage you all to examine your own lives, to find the places and people in which God's light is peeking in past the curtains, to notice where the healing and mercy is taking place around you, and trust that God will reveal it all in a divine moment. There's this one metaphor that youth groups like to use, where someone will take a flower, usually a rose, and they would ask everyone to pass it around the room, touch it, smell it, whatever, and then when it would come back to the front of the room, it would be wilted, maybe even broken, and the petals would be bent or have lost some of its color. And then the speaker would hold it up and go, now who would want this flower? And I think it's supposed to be a metaphor for abstinence and purity culture, um, but if someone asked who would want this flower, who wants a, this beaten up, marred up thing by the hands of loss, by the hands of depression, by the hands of anxiety, by the hands of assault, God would say, I do. I want that flower. 
To him we are whole and we are precious. He does not mark us for our iniquities and he does not mark others for the sins they have committed against us. He is forgiveness and he is steadfast love. He is plentiful redemption. Isaiah 40 verse 8 says, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Psalm 130 is pointing to something that whether we have stumbled in the pit into the warring waters is that sometimes all we can do is cry, wait, and hope. In my time of darkness and when it felt like there were no answers, I cried out to God to help. But what it took was waiting and hoping because I knew no matter what, that the Lord is there to teach me and guide me and pull me out. The road of complete healing and understanding is a long one, and sometimes it's super foggy, and you can't see exactly where you are going. But there is a light pushing its way through the fog to guide the way. I am still somewhat in that pit, but the Lord has forgiven, and so shall I. And therefore, he has given me a ladder of sorts. I managed to climb up a few rungs, and even though I'm not entirely out, I can see the light, and it is blinding, and it is beautiful. To end, I would like to read a poem to you all, so if you all could just close your eyes and take a breath. This is When Trouble Comes by Justin Farley. Evening's crippling darkness passes away, its distant vigor muted by the beauty of the morn. Hope shines forth from the sun's mighty rays, a new spirit within us is born. I am not overburdened my life's troubles, though painful, they'll not shackle nor strangle me. For each of life's daily struggles provides growth's greatest opportunity. When the seas of my demise rise and the wake of fear crests beyond the levee's peak, faith persists and finds a way to uphold and drive me just beyond the tide of trouble's reach. We are neither all dark nor light. We're destined to reside somewhere in between, constantly conscious of the ongoing fight, casting our character in each of life's scenes. We can't prevent the sun from sleeping, nor hide from life's inevitable dark and lonesome night. But we can cling to hope never fleeting when joy becomes unattainable and out of sight. Lord, we do not know why these things that happen in our lives happen, the good or the bad. But we know that through it all, you are here, standing right there with us in our darkest times. We cry out to you, God, to take away our hurt or to help us understand. When we are walking down a path we cannot see clearly. Help us to be patient, God. Help us to trust that you will be a guiding light to follow as we navigate life. Because we know that you are a God of mercy, that you are a God full of steadfast love. You are a forgiving God, and with you comes redemption. Help us to remember your ways as we cry, we wait and we hope in you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.